Amen. God is good. All the time. All the time. Oh, God really is so present here this morning. God is as close as our breath. And um, let's just experience some of that. Take a, take a deep breath. And when you breathe in, know that you are breathing in the presence and the love of God. Just take a deep breath. And release that breath. And when you release that breath, know that you are releasing that love back into this place today. Uh, we are about that amazing love. Take another breath. Release another breath. Wow, there is so much love here. It is so present. And you all are always finding some way to surprise me. And I've had a few conversations this week that, that reminded me of how you always surprise me been pastoring here 10 years and you still managed to do it. One of you told me that you had already done every bit of your Christmas shopping. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. And then somebody else already has all their Christmas cards not only purchased, but they've signed them, put them in the envelope, addressed them, stamped them, and they're ready to go out the day after Thanksgiving. Someone else told me that they bought all their Christmas decorations, not last week, but January 1 of 2 of last year after, the, after Christmas sale. Already had your Christmas decorations for this year. I mean, to those of you who plan that well, I stand in awe of you. <laughs> I haven't bought any Christmas cards yet. I, in fact, am one of those persons who you will find online on December 23rd, doing my last-minute Christmas shopping and paying exorbitant fees to UPS for their last-minute delivery. <laughs> Many of you are prepared, prepared for the holidays. But this is the question I ask. It's a challenge to me and a challenge to all of us. Are we as spiritually prepared as we are in terms of our other planning? In fact, are we so prepared that this year, the holidays will become the holy days. Wouldn't that be amazing? If we got our hearts so ready that this year, the holidays truly became holy days. I would like to give us that challenge as a congregation this year. And during the month of November, I will be offering a spiritual toolkit Spiritual tools to help make the holidays this year holy days. To make this season not a time of rushing around and getting swept into all the chaos and the craziness, but a season to truly be spiritually centered and growing in our faith. How will that happen? Well, we have to make some changes about how we do the holidays. And we know that change is not easy. It means taking the risk to say that this year, I'm going to approach all of this differently. So that's the first tool to get this holy season started. The first tool is the tool of change, taking the risk to do it differently. Now, I've already said that change is not easy. Change involves a risk, and just to help us all understand that in a way we will never forget, I would like you to rise as you are able. All right, get ready for change, woo! <laughs> All right, here is the challenge. You'll never forget this sermon. You may not like it, but you'll never forget it. 
take a moment and sit in a different pew than what you're sitting in. Now you can just shift over one. If you're a front row person, you can just move over to this front row and you folks can move over here. And then on the way to finding your seat, make a point to learn somebody's name that you don't know. So two changes, you're changing seats and you're learning a name you don't know. Thank you. All right, some of you are enjoying that so much, you're, you're still kind of talking to those new neighbors. All right. Amen. Thank you. All right. Now, how did that, uh, how did that feel? Weird. Weird. <laughs> Different. I, I suspect that uh, a few of you actually felt, uh, felt very uncomfortable because you're used to sitting in the same place every week. Change is not easy. Even a change as simple as moving seats. What makes change possible? One of the things is when you do it with others. When you have others to support you in that. Another experiment I could have done would have been to have you make the change without saying a word. I think had we done that, you would have even been more uncomfortable than you are. There was something about sharing that experience and learning some names and building community that made the change perhaps a little bit less difficult than it would be. Go ahead and feel that feeling for a few moments because if you truly want to turn the holidays into holy days, it will mean making some shifts that may be uncomfortable. Now the exciting thing about scripture is it is full of people who made some amazing shifts, who made some risky change, some change that not only changed their lives but changed the world. The Bible's full of it. In the New Testament you have the disciples who put down their nets to follow Jesus. They weren't sure who he was. They weren't sure what kind of trouble they were getting into. It couldn't have been comfortable. Yet they did it. In the Hebrew scriptures talk about risk, talk about risky change. We have David who with five stones took the risk to confront a giant. He showed us that we can also face the giants in our lives. He did it with five stones. Talk about limited resources. Those of us who feel we are not enough, those of us who feel we're inadequate, look what David did with five stones. He made a risky change. Our story today from the Hebrew Scriptures, the story of Ruth and Naomi, is also a story of risky change. And it's a wonderful story. It's a story that many of you, of you have used at your commitment ceremonies or your holy unions. It's a story of wonderful love. But as I've looked at this story, I see that it's more than just a story of love. It's also a tremendous story of faith. 
The story actually begins in the town of Bethlehem. Naomi is there with her family and they're doing well until a famine hits. When that famine hits, when they have those limited resources, they have to decide what they're going to do about it. And they realize that what they're going to have to do is make a change. So Naomi's family has this big debate. Do we leave Bethlehem where we're starving? And do we go to this land way off called Moab, where we will be outsiders, but maybe we'll at least have enough to eat? Now they had this whole debate going on. There were all these what ifs. I mean, they could leave Bethlehem, go to all the hassle to go to Moab, and then have a famine hit there. They had to look at those questions. But ultimately, they made the risky change to go to Moab. It seemed to work out all right at first until they get there, and Naomi's husband dies. Suddenly, Naomi finds herself as a single mother in a strange land. She took the challenge. She made the change. She gets there and her husband dies. And this was a time before there was any sense of equality. So you know it had to be tough. Well, she's raising her two sons and eventually another risky change happens. They fall in love with Moabite women. Now again, this is a very different culture from ours. This is a time when interracial marriage is absolutely forbidden. In some cases, it could result in death. They did it anyway. They formed a non-traditional family right there in these ancient scriptures. Again, the change at first seems to be paying off. The risk seems to be paying off. But then the two sons die. Now we have a non-traditional family that's become even more non-traditional. We have Ruth and Naomi and Orpah and the husbands are all dead. They are having to depend on each other. They've taken the risk and it seems that God has abandoned them. How do they navigate their way through this change? They navigate their way through the change the same way we did a few moments ago. They relied on each other. They found value in the home and the community that they'd created. That inspired them to look at other risky changes they might make on behalf of their future. Naomi, at this point, is a complete outsider. Her sons are dead. Her husband's dead. She has two daughters-in-laws of a different race. And she makes the decision at that point to go back to Bethlehem. The famine is over. To go back to her extended family. So this non-traditional family sets off on the road to risky change to go back to Bethlehem. But partway there, it strikes Naomi that maybe her risk should not be the same risk that her daughters-in-law are taking. I mean, Moabites were considered very low in the Israeli community, and the whole idea of putting them into that situation did not seem fair to Naomi. So she said to Orpah and to Ruth, go back to your homeland, go back to your people, Don't take the same risk I'm taking. You can go there. You can remarry. You can settle down. You can have a wonderful life. They both protest because their inner connection is so strong. But eventually Orpah does go back. But Ruth. Ruth says, you know something, Naomi? You're willing to take a risk. You're willing to make a change. You're willing to step into an unknown future. I love you and I'm going to go into that future with you. I don't care what kind of discrimination I face. I am going with you. And she says some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. 
she says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. I am not afraid. What an amazing, risky change Ruth was making. Unafraid. She knew she would face discrimination. She knew she'd be an outsider. But she went ahead and took the risk. A couple of points I'd like to lift from this powerful, powerful scripture. One being, she took the risk to claim an unknown future. We're all called to do that at some point in our life, to give up what we've known all along for something that may be more powerful and stronger and truer and deeper. At some point, we all reach that place in our journey where we need to decide whether or not we're going to take a risk on God. where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I actually am doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me to the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. I will not fear, for you are ever with me. Mm. What's amazing about Ruth is that she went ahead and took the steps even though she wasn't sure where they were going. And the will of God sometimes is like that. She didn't just go halfway. She didn't take a few steps and turn around. She went all the way to claim the unknown future that she knew that God was holding for her. I believe that all of us have an unwritten future. That God has something amazing that God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. The risky thing is to not just come up with our vision, but to say to God, what vision do you have for me? And then, no matter how scary that vision is, to lean into it. That's what Ruth did. She'd never even been to Bethlehem before. She'd not tried that before. She didn't know what she was going to meet there. But she saw the vision that God had for her, and she pursued, pursued it faithfully and fearlessly. Anyone today in that kind of place? Anyone today at a place of decision? Any of you who have taken a few steps for positive change and have found yourself going backwards again? You couldn't quite get there? In the spirit of Naomi, I invite you to fearlessly claim the future that God holds for you. No matter how many times you have started and have been turned around, start again. Boldly move forward.
There's a second thing I'd like to lift from this passage, and that also is behind the power that Ruth exhibited through her character. The second thing is she was able to make the risky change to discover her values and then to faithfully live them. Her values included her commitment to Naomi. Her values included this whole idea of turning away from the gods of her ancestors and claiming the new God of Naomi, saying your God will be my God, the God of the people of Israel, to make a faith shift in her life. Another one of her values was to truly trust, to trust unflinchingly, to believe that God would direct her path and to fearlessly move forward with that act of trust. Now this is where it gets tricky for us to really live our values, particularly during the holiday season. During the holiday season, there will be so much stuff going on. In fact, this holiest of seasons can easily become the most hectic of seasons. It's the one time of the year when some of us who have started reading scripture and studying and praying give it up because we don't have time for it. We don't start our scripture reading back up until January 2nd as part of our New Year's resolutions. How about getting in on it early and saying no matter what's going on around me during this season, I'm going to live my values. Maybe during this holiday season, a wonderful call for our congregation would be to do something every week that you've not done before during the holidays that will make a difference in the world. Volunteer somewhere or perhaps participate in our music program. Make resurrection not just a Sunday thing, but find at least one night a week to do something here, whether that's music or whether that's going to the Wednesday night uplift service. Uh, During the holidays, I'm going to be doing a series every Thursday night, Resurrection Connection, going deeper in Scripture and deeper in the world. Determine to live your values on a deeper level. Now at times it may seem overwhelming to live differently in a world that's pulling us in so many different ways. At times it may seem like the small steps we take are not accomplishing a whole lot. There's a wonderful nature writer named Lauren Isley who oftentimes helped people see how God is oftentimes revealed through nature. During part of his life journey, he went to a small tourist town that was there along a seacoast, and every morning he would get up to walk on the beach, and he found himself terribly overwhelmed and terribly discouraged because every morning all these starfish would wash up on the beach, and the local shopkeepers would take the starfish and use them to sell for souvenirs. It it tore him up because he hated to see these starfish giving up their lives so someone would have something to set on their mantle. He saw it as one more way that the world says no to life. One night as he was thinking of all these starfish that were being turned into souvenirs, he couldn't sleep and he got up even earlier to walk along that beach and he got there before the shopkeepers were there. And it was just him and one other person on the beach. He saw this solitary figure going along and picking up the starfish and throwing them back out into the ocean. He was saving their lives one by one. Now he could only save a few of these starfish. Hundreds of them would be turned into souvenirs. But he would take every starfish that he could and pick it up and throw it back out into the ocean. 
And Lauren Isley was moved by this because he said, with all the people saying no to life, here is someone saying yes to life. Can they save them all? No. But they're going to keep saving all that they can. The next morning, he got up early again, and sure enough, that solitary figure was there again, taking those starfish and throwing them back into the ocean. He got up the next morning, and that solitary figure was there again, picking up the starfish and throwing them back out into the ocean. He became known as the star thrower, one who refused to be overwhelmed by destruction, would save the ones he could. No matter the weather, he was out there throwing the stars back out, saying yes to God and yes to life. That's exactly what Ruth and Naomi did. They refused to be overwhelmed by their circumstances. They refused to be overwhelmed by discrimination. They would take the small steps they knew they were called to take to say yes to God and yes to their life. The world needs more star throwers. The world needs a congregation like this that says yes to life. There's another powerful part of the story of Ruth and Naomi that I have yet to share. And that is that when they got to Bethlehem, they were richly blessed. And in fact, Ruth became the mother of Obed, who became the father of Jesse, who became the father of King David, who was an ancestor to Jesus. There is no way that Ruth could have known that the risky change she was taking would ultimately change the world through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. She had no idea that her risk would benefit all of us. The risky change that God is calling us to make this holy season may be a risk that will have an impact far beyond what we could ever imagine. So in the spirit of Ruth and Naomi, I invite us to be star throwers, taking on the risky change and the challenge that God is calling us to take on. It may just save somebody's life. Amen and amen.